Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, it's Troy from the Tap Market Podcast. I've got a unique interview here today with Justin Ray. Justin, I'll have you say hi really quickly. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm Justin. Justin is an entrepreneur who actually sold his company and he's going to tell us a little bit about his story and how he started, what worked for him, what didn't work and how he got there. And then Justin's actually working on some cool stuff now in his second go around, we might be able to jump into as well. So Justin, give us a little bit of the background as to what you were working on, what you sold, and how you actually got started in that particular industry as well. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And hey, thanks again for having me on, Troy. It's really cool to hear about what you're up to as well. So I grew a motorcycle and bicycle accessories brand with my business partner to the mid-seven-figure mark and then ended up selling it for mid-seven figures. And that was predominantly on Amazon, but also with a little bit of retail and a little bit of website traffic as well. And that was started about seven years ago-ish? Yeah. So I started that brand with my business partner, Jeremiah Klingman, in 2015. So kind of still in sort of the somewhat Wild West days of Amazon, as a lot of sellers like to nostalgically refer to that time period as. But yeah, about seven years ago. So full time from starting the brand to exit was a little over six years. Okay. And sold it a year and a half or so, two years ago. Yep. It was the very, very end of 2021. So I think it was like end of December. So right before the new year, that's when we ended up officially signing the paperwork, officially selling the brand and knowing like, okay, that's it it's done. That's incredible. Congratulations on that. I mean, that's a small group of people. I mean, you hear a lot about the 1% in America, but the percentage of people that start a company and go through the process of building it and selling it is just so small. So congratulations. You're in a unique class of people going through that process. And I know you've got more that you're working on because that's just the entrepreneurial spirit. But what got you into this particular industry? You're kind of an outdoorsy guy. You're out in like the Colorado area, right? Is that what made you choose to design that first product? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, at the time, I guess I was early 20s and I was working for my family's real estate business, but I was on the property maintenance side. So nothing fancy. I was literally the guy fixing people's sinks and toilets. I had done two years of school, not for business. So two years of college. And it was actually at a small Bible school upstate New York. And I say all that to say what got me into business was growing up kind of in an entrepreneurial family and seeing that it was possible. I didn't really think of business as entrepreneurship. I just thought of it as working for yourself. So after I got out of 
the two-year college program, I was like, yeah, school's not really for me. I wasn't a huge fan of college. I had a lot of good times during those years, but I was working, like I said, property maintenance. I didn't like the job. I wasn't really passionate about having real estate be a full-time thing. I don't think I really knew enough about it. And so I was searching. I was just really searching for something that I could get into. And honestly, it was reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which I know is a catalyst for a lot of people. And I just remember reading it and thinking, man, if it's at all possible to do what Tim Ferriss is talking about, I want that. And I'm going to die trying to find it, especially like in that early stage of my life. I was like, everything was so intense, like it's all life or death, right? So I was really searching. Long story short, I did a few different ventures. I did my first real estate investment. It was a single family home that was a foreclosure and I bought it to rehab it, rehabbed it by myself, hated it, realized I just wanted to be done with physical trades. I wanted to be done with the trades. Then I joined a network marketing company. Through the network marketing company, I met my now business partner and this is all really random, but I went really hard in that network marketing company and at one of the living room meetings, I don't know, are you familiar with network marketing at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a classic entrepreneur's stepping stone. And and you could say anything about them, right? Yeah. But if there's a class to take on sales, that's one of them, right? Like that's a key course on how to reach out to people and talk to people and open doors. Mm-hmm. Totally know it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I tell people that all the time. Looking back now that I know more about business, I'm not a huge fan of the way network marketing business models work because I do think they're extremely difficult to make good money early on. But I had some great mentors. I was in ACN and it was great. I was in it for about four months and I went really hard. I had some really good mentors. And they really taught me a lot. And I don't think I'd be where I am today if it wasn't for them. And also just to join something like that and have access to guys who are millionaires when you don't know a thing about business is very rare. But that happens in the network marketing world. So it was a huge influence on me, huge impact. But at one of those meetings, my mentor was having me lead the meeting and I was the one doing the speaking. And, you know, it was all really new for me. I was very nervous. And he ended up saying, do any of you here make 10 grand a month residually? in passive income from your business. And one of Jeremiah's brothers was there and pointed at him. And he was shocked because this never happens at those meetings. And he was like, oh, really, bro? Well, tell us what you do. And Jeremiah, who went on to become my business partner, was like, oh, I just kind of like sell stuff online. And he he was embarrassed because he was 19 at the time and he didn't want to talk about it. So he kind of brushed it under the rug. And then my mentor kind of moved past it because it makes the network marketing business look not as attractive, you know, when some kid's doing it by himself and he's making all kinds of money. So it turns out Jeremiah was running at the time a fitness brand that was selling fitness products and they had just crossed their first million dollar year. So they were becoming very successful. And I talked to him after the meeting and I found out what he was doing. He was designing products. He was creating his own brand selling it online. And it was everything that I had ever wanted because I had heard about it before. And in my mind, I was like, that's what I want. So I got lunch with them. And it's just random how this stuff kind of works out when you're ready for it. But we ended up partnering off that one lunch meeting. And looking back, it was like so naive because it's like that could have gone wrong in so many ways. 
So I said, well, would you be willing to teach me? And we've, we kind of crafted up a, a one-year agreement of how the partnership would work. And he was like, yeah, I'll teach you. You do all the work. I'll teach you how to do it. And then later on, once the brand took off, we changed the partnership structure. But it ha- we had a one-year contract that I had written up because I knew enough about business to know like we need some sort of out in case we don't get along. And we ended up working together really well. He's still one of my best friends to this day. We talk all the time still about business stuff. But yeah, that was how we started the company. And I know I explained this to you, Troy, but just for anyone listening, when we sold to the aggregator that we sold to, when we sold the brand, we had to sign a very strict NDA. And it's very silly. It makes no sense. But we can't say the number that we sold for. And we can't say the name of the aggregator that we sold for or the multiple. But what I can tell you is that the brand that we started was motorcycle and bicycle accessories. So we did like smartphone mounts for your handlebars of your bicycle, bags for commuter bicycles, helmets, backpacks, blankets, things like that. The brand, before we sold it, we had gotten it to 5 million in gross top line revenue. And I I can say that number. I'm a big believer in just being very open about numbers. I think it just, you know, it's not an ego thing. It's just, hey, this is where we were at. And it just gives people an idea of the stats of our sports team, so to speak, right? I mean, how do you watch sports without knowing what's going on? So that's a snapshot of what the brand was. How did you pick that first product, though, when you were working together? Did you already know, like, this is what we're going to go after? Did you just go on, like, the equivalent of Jungle Scout at the time and say, oh, this is the category we're going to go after or did you go to the partner's manufacturer overseas and say, hey, what else can you do? Or did you have a problem in your own day-to-day that you were like, man, I can't get my own phone mounted to my bike. I should do this. How did you get the first one? And maybe the first one was a flop and it was the fourth product that took off. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) This was before the days of Jungle Scout. We didn't have all those software tools yet. They were like right around the corner, but I feel like an old guy talking about my younger days. In my (laughs) younger days, before we had all this technology. And what are you, like 30 now? 31, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Kids, anything's possible. Work hard. (laughs) We sold the brand when I was 29. So anyways, what happened was I walked out of that lunch meeting with Jeremiah And I really like motorcycles. I was really into it at the time. And I walked out to my motorcycle and I looked at, I had a phone mount on my handlebars to hold my smartphone. And it was not a very good one. It was pretty sketchy. And I just said to him kind of casually, oh, what if we designed our own version of something like this? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll look into it. So everything we knew about product hunting was based off of Jeremiah's knowledge at the time. And so he had a really good handle on bestsellers ranks and things like that and how to gauge demand and competition in a marketplace. And so that is what we really based our product hunting off of. And we were just looking for a market with high demand and low competition. And there was still a lot of marketplaces around that at the time. So that's the product we launched with. And we were very fortunate that that product actually took off. And I think it did 10 grand in its first month. And just that product went on to be a multi-million dollar product annually on its own. So in some ways, it's kind of funny to tell the story because it's like, oh, we just met, we partnered, we immediately found the perfect product. But I think (laughs) I want to preface that with saying 
that before that I was trying so many different business ventures, so many different things since the age of like 12, you know, just random business stuff. So it was just finally luck met opportunity met me being ready to execute on something and it happened to work out. But before that, there was just lots of failures or whatever you want to call them along the way. So that brand happened to be my first big success, you know, but, you know, we went on to launch a lot of products after that, that did fail. And then we realized like, you know, how hard it could be. So yeah, that's kind of the story of how it got started. So you launched on Amazon and that was your primary sales channel as well. Yeah. How did you go about growing it in the, the very first stages? Was it just launching on Amazon and doing PPC? What did you do early on that you feel like, and maybe it's different than what you would even advise somebody today. Can you talk about that? And then how maybe did that sort of change as the business grew? What did you start to really focus on to make it continue its momentum? Yeah. Some people okay. build these email lists, right? Like they're trying to like nowadays, at least, they're trying to build these communities in their specific niche that then they can launch products to and send traffic to Amazon to do conversions. Maybe there was something different about back then than what you'd even advise today. Well, you know, okay, so this is an interesting subject. And I think the core of what you're getting at here is really business strategy. And that is so specific to not even just an industry, but each business model. And I think it took us a lot of time to learn that early on. I was 23 when we launched Brand. Jeremiah was 19. He's kind of one of those freak genius kids, you know. And he went on to sell his other brand. So he's had two seven-figure exits. But we were learning that. And I say that to say we, I think, heard advice in the industry that we mistook and applied it, I think, wrongfully so, where... And this comes down to like branding and your strategy overall for your business. For us, what we actually were really good at was marketing on Amazon and creating a very well-packaged, good-looking brand and selling it really well and playing that game. But the thing is, we were in early enough to where we could do that. So we didn't have to focus on customer relationship as much. And I actually think that that's okay as long as you know the game that you're playing. But what happened was early on, we thought we had to become this brand that had such a good mission statement and such a good way to connect with customers and who knew their customer base and things like that. But in reality, we only had to kind of semi-know our customer base and know what was selling on Amazon. So we were kind of divided. Our first product, we had a lot of motorcyclists buying it and a lot of cyclists, bicycles. And it turns out that bicycles were the more profitable category and niche. And so we just pursued that because we had more people riding bicycles buying those products. So we launched more products for them, but we weren't that granular with it. And I think I was never okay with that early on. So I tried to really make the brand be a lot more than it was, you know, like I tried to give it this big mission statement and this big passionate thing. But at the end of the day, all that really mattered was that we had really outstanding customer service. We cared about the product. So we did custom design our own products and we made really good quality products. And we played the game of getting to the top of Amazon. And at the time we could do that because there was opportunity in that niche and we were first to market. 
And so I think that that was okay. But now, and I'll talk about this later, I'm building a brand that's solely focused on the customer and that marketing angle, which I talked with you about a little bit before, Troy. And so this is very long-winded explanation, but I guess what I'm saying is what propelled the brand and actually helped us sell more is when we realized that and doubled down on what we were good at, which was selling products on Amazon. But we had gone through this this probably six-month to a year-long phase where we were trying to build this the website store. We were getting into retail. And those two things in and of themselves are completely different animals. And the, the business model did not support the product pricing strategy that we had, which was low-cost products at really high volume. So we actually ended up losing like, oh my gosh, I think it was like a hundred grand in six months out of pocket that we spent out of the business bank account. And that's how we learned that through that process. We even launched a supplements company that we lost a lot of money on. It was separate. It was a different company, but we learned a lot through that period. And I guess I say all that to say we knew the game we were playing at the end of the day, and we focused on that. And that's what propelled the brand. And we knew we wanted to sell it. We weren't doing a legacy play. We weren't trying to set the brand up for the next 20, 30 years. It was focused on being really good at having a well-packaged brand that sold well on Amazon. Do you think that that's different today? If you were trying to break into the same exact category, yeah. do you think you'd be able to go at it that way? Or do you think you'd be forced to do it differently because there's just more players or more overseas manufacturers selling their products directly on Amazon. What's your gut tell you? No, absolutely. And I'm glad you're asking that because I think that's where the other side of it comes in. I think the landscape has shifted. Like I was telling you, I took a good bit of time off after I sold the company to do some other things, travel the world, have a mini retirement. And when I came back, the landscape was very different. And we always knew that branding was the more powerful play in the long term, in the short term, actually. But now, for example, if I were to go back in the same market, one of our best-selling products had 60,000 reviews. There's no way I could launch a new product right now and play the Amazon game and beat that guy. Like I couldn't beat me at that level starting over again now. There's too much momentum. There's too much market share already absorbed. So the only way to really compete in some of those bigger markets is if you have one, a disruptive product that no one's doing, or a disruptive marketing angle that is either marketing to it. And I know Ryan Moran talks about this stuff a lot, but marketing to a different customer segment, different group of people, or just doing it in a different manner. And I think that's what's winning on Amazon now is taking those sort of micro niches and really knowing the customer and creating a following and giving them something that is unique to them. I really do think that's what's winning now. So to answer your question, it's very different. Unless you have very deep pockets, it's very hard to play the gamify Amazon game unless it's a new market. It's like you still have to do that. You still have to like yeah. lose money and get reviews. You still have to try to drive keyword customer acquisitions. You guys still have to do all those gamified things. But along the way, you still have to build this brand, right? You still have to build this niche targeter. And I will say that Amazon is doing a pretty good job of deploying pathways to tell that story. You know, they came out with stuff like posts recently that you can literally have essentially a social media program on there. If someone's listening to this and they don't have brand registry with it allows you to do A plus content 
and do more specialized marketing on Amazon, you're never going to make it. You have to do that. There's table stakes of things like that you have to do. Your storefront is an opportunity to really tell your brand story, Mm -hmm. to target your niche. You can follow storefronts now and email those followers. So there's a lot of things that they're doing that I think will differentiate. We've talked about this with Forrest and Harold. You know, we're targeting the modern dad and we're going up against faceless, nameless brands that mean nothing, right? Like they're literally just overseas manufacturers selling really cheap product on Amazon with probably shoddy customer service. But we're going all in, I think, in this year on bringing our personality into the brand to the point of we operate out of Gloucester, Massachusetts, out of a leather manufacturing facility here in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And so like we want to take pictures of us, of our team, of us shipping, of us packing, of us making products, of us doing these things and really humanize it, which our competition from overseas, they're never going to do that. They literally can't do that. And I think that's a real differentiator for us on a sales channel like Amazon that I, I think people will resonate with with the new tools that Amazon is allowing us to utilize on there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and like you're saying, you're if you're doing something unique that the customer connects with, they're going to want to follow that. And I think that really is the name of the game now because we are in such a time period now where you can have these micro customer segments that can really launch a brand out of the gates. And it is very important, especially for physical products, no doubt. Will you take a couple minutes and just give everybody a little bit of detail on that micro retirement? I know we've talked about this together, but let everybody know, like, here's a little light at the end of this tunnel. I like the mini retirement verbiage that you use because I know you're getting back after it. But um, what'd you do? Where'd you go? How long did you do it for? Yeah, it wasn't as structured as I should have made it. It was kind of in chunks. Like I think after I sold the company, I took three months really off. And I went to Hawaii for two weeks with Jeremiah and his wife and some other friends. So not a very long trip, just two weeks. Like, you know, it wasn't like I packed my bags and left for three months. But I kind of wished that is what I had done because I was in this weird phase where I was still kind of in denial with the fact that I needed time off and I was pretty burnt out. I mean, that's a whole nother subject, but you know, I was burnt out from the the six and a half years or whatever it took where we went through some pretty big ups and downs with the company, Jeremiah and I, and then took about three months off, but I only spent, let's see. I, yeah. I went to Hawaii. Then I went to Mexico. I did a little bit of backpacking, stayed at a surf camp. I really love surfing. So I spent more time doing that stayed at some hostels for the first time, which I hadn't done that before. It was usually like nice hotels and things like that when traveling for business and stuff. So I kind of did that more adventurous side of life and then started going to some business conferences again. But it was kind of weird going to the business conferences because it was really good to see friends. But my head was so not in it. Like I just was like, anytime somebody was bringing up strategy about business, my brain would shut down. You know, I was so checked out, you know, it was just weird. I was like, okay, you know, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Like not right now, but at the same time, I still had that ambition. Like I wanted to do bigger things. And to me, I felt like I was just getting started. You know, we sold the company for a multimillion dollar paycheck. 
but I didn't feel like I had made it by any means. I just felt like I had hit the first rung of the ladder in my mind. And so it was this weird battle of like wanting to get back in it and wanting to go after creating other companies, but then also just being checked out. And so that's why I say, I wish I gave myself permission to just be like, that's it. I'm taking six months off, a year off, whatever it is. So like I said, did the traveling thing, went home. I have a great group of friends at home. And so did a lot of stuff around where I live in Colorado. And I started to explore other investing avenues. I've always been invested in real estate. That's always been predominantly my investment strategy. So I started to learn a little more about that and dive into that a little deeper. And then I also explored other things like trading and just realized I didn't have the skill set for it. I'm not really like a big numbers guy. I don't like to be alone in a room all day crunching numbers. Like I really need to be with people building a team and making connections. So I learned a lot about myself, I would say in the last year, definitely. And now you're pivoting into taking on more from a business perspective, you're actually contemplating spinning up additional brands in the future, but you're, you get to go at it at a different pace. You get to sort of work on this while also maintaining your existing sort of investment portfolio. Yeah. You think you're going to bring a brand to market here in the next six to 12 months sooner? What are you thinking? Hopefully in the next three months. I mean, I would do it, you know, next week if I could, but these things take time with physical products. But yeah, no, I mean, now I learned, okay, I really think that my strategy for myself personally, wealth creation, wealth building, and just overall what I enjoy doing is building businesses, building the team up for those businesses and sort of stepping back because by the time we had sold the brand that I was running with Jeremiah, we had really had a good team in place and it wasn't requiring a ton of attention from us. And we could have gotten to that point much sooner. But once once I sort of learned that skill set of putting a team in place, it just made running a business so much more enjoyable. It was so much more fun. We had a really, really good project manager who actually got a small percentage of the sale when we sold as a, as sort of like a vested interest, if you will. But actually Gabe Klingman, he works for Ryan Moran now or worked with him. So it was really awesome to have that team in place. And now knowing that going forward, that's my strategy. So build businesses, put awesome people in place and invest the money in real estate predominantly. Like I have some other small holdings and some other random investments. Well, Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there is one other big investing channel, but mostly real estate and build businesses. So that's my strategy now. And the brand that I'm focused on, like I shared with you, is much more oriented around the customers. It's going to be something that I feel like I'm not seeing in the marketplace, something that is really going to connect with people and that they're going to want to follow and actually want to actively engage with a social media page because it's interesting and unique and they identify with. So that's one of the projects I'm working on. And then we'll see where that goes, but it's much more of a passion project and it could be big or it could fail. Who knows? But I'll learn something along the way. And then in the meantime, just continue focusing on my real estate portfolio. I think your thesis is right. I would say it's actually similarly aligned with where I'd like to go. It's just you've had your your exit and so you you're more vested into the into the real estate, but I've heard this before where people will use the excess cash flows of their business 
to invest in other asset classes for diversification, real estate being the one that a lot of people go to because it has it has a lot of tax advantages. The government will give tax advantages to things that they don't do well. And we can argue all day that the government doesn't do anything well, but they don't create jobs well and they don't create housing well. And so they give a lot of tax advantages to business owners and real estate developers or real estate owners. Mm-hmm. So amortizing your real estate, whether it's single family homes, just like rental units, it's a good asset class for other entrepreneurs. If you haven't read anything on this and you're listening to this, I think the bigger pockets guys do a good job, you know, with their books and their podcasts. You can easily get the gist of the real estate market through those guys if if anybody's interested. Yeah. So I think that's smart. And you can keep stacking that, right? You can keep stacking your cash flows out of that if you can keep your lifestyle relatively standard. And then eventually you'll wake up one day with a portfolio with a cap rate of you know 10%, which is equivalent to essentially what the, the cash flows would kick off on that. If you've got a $10 million portfolio at a 10% cap rate, you might be looking at a million dollars a year in income. So it's something that builds a little bit over time, but you can definitely make... If you have a good business, you can make more cash faster in businesses because real estate is just, it's just just a different, low, slow, consistent asset class comparatively. It's so true. And that's what didn't excite me as much about real estate in the beginning is because I don't think I I understood the game that I was playing. And if you're going to be full-time in real estate, you also have a lot of deals going on, like flipping houses or wholesaling properties or whatever it is while you're also building your portfolio. But it takes cash and time to build the portfolio and let that equity build. And when I was younger, I just wanted cash flow immediately. And so that's where it's like, okay, if you get a successful business, you have cash and you got to put it somewhere. Real estate, for me, is the best vehicle to do that with. Then you'll build that portfolio over time. And then you can decide whether you want to work on your third, fourth, or fifth business or just continue to leverage the real estate assets because you've built a portfolio over time and continue to reinvest in them. I think that's that's brilliant. Every business owner should be thinking like that. Yeah, no, thank you. appreciate that. So I'm excited to hear more about this business by bringing you back on here. I think when you launch this business publicly that you're working on, this could be a little platform to start telling some people about it. So we'll leave it as a teaser today. But I look forward to having you back here to tell us more. But I really, I can't emphasize enough. I can put myself in your shoes and it may not feel like you're done yet or that you're as inspiring as you are. I can put myself in, in your shoes and, and imagine that. But you have, to, you have to put yourselves in our shoes equally as the entrepreneurs out here early on on our first projects still grinding away towards that win And when we hear the stories like what you've walked us through today, that is incredibly inspiring. And it's all the goals that we work our tails off on. And uh, to hear you succeed at it is incredible. So congratulations on that. I appreciate you coming on here. And I look forward to having you back. Yeah, thank you, Troy. I I appreciate that a lot, man. That means a lot. The last thing that I'd say is for anyone building a brand right now or building a business, If you're getting any sort of traction or you can afford to do it out of pocket, it's just like, and I know this is very cliche advice in the industry right now, but 
is just hire people and build the team because that is the most important factor that propelled the business forward faster and also made it more fun. It's definitely building a team and hiring people as soon as possible. It can be scary at first, but that's like the number one thing that changed my business. I think that's the journey aspect of it. That cliche quote that we all hear is, you've got to enjoy the journey, not the destination. And to go on the journey of building a business by yourself, it's lonely. I bet the majority of the people that are listening to this are probably in that phase. And to be able to do it with somebody like a partner and to hire people and have other people engaged in the success. It's like going camping by yourself or going camping with all your buddies, right? Yeah. You're doing something fun and engaging. And it's so much more exciting when you get to have that fun and engagement with other people. And that's the thing that they're talking about when they say enjoy the journey, not the destination. Yeah. And so I I agree with you. And even it, it doesn't have to be somebody sitting right next to you in that room, you know, if you're first dipping your toe in because you, it's all you can afford is a VA team, I think you'd be surprised that, you know, we're, we're dipping our toes into VA teams on the brands that we have now too. It's amazing how energetic and engaged they are in the brand, how much they care about the brand's success too. So I'd encourage people to get out there and even try that if it's simpler and more cost effective for you at your stage in your business. But that's good advice, Justin. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't have to be someone sitting right next to you. It can be virtual assistants or things like that, but it makes the process more enjoyable. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, good luck, bud. We'll have you on here again soon. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks, Troy. Appreciate it. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes, so we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends. This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way, and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.